Hey guys, and welcome to Buff 2020 Filmmakers Q&A for the Love Stories uh, 2 film program. Um, my name is Justin Ginnier and I'll be hosting this Q&A. How are you doing guys? Good. Yeah, good. Yeah, Amazing. Thank you. Cool. All right, so um, firstly, let's uh, introduce ourselves and just let me know the title of your film. Uh, on my screen, I've got Vincent top left, so we'll start with Vincent first. Go for it. Uh, okay, cool. Hi. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Vincent Jerome. Um, I am the uh, writer and producer of Fool's Errand. I'm also um, the lead actor in it. Cool. Thanks very much, Vincent. Lena? Hi, so I'm Lena Duberry, and I am a French-Moroccan uh, actress and writer. And so I wrote uh, Mitek. So yeah, I'm the writer, producer, and lead actress in Mitek. Thank you, Lena. Kiende. Hi, guys. My name is Kiende Cardoso. I'm from Nigeria. Um, my film is called Inheritance, and I'm the executive producer and lead actor in the film. Thank you very much. And Tomas. Hi, guys. So I'm uh, Tomas Alexander, and uh, the director, co writer, and producer for Fools Errand. Okay, all right, thanks for that, guys. Uh, so first question um, is, how did you come about to either write or star in these films, or direct in your case, Thomas? Um, and that question I'm going to, actually, I'll ask Thomas. Am I saying your name right? Sorry, Thomas. Uh, Tom's fine, I usually, I got used to Tom, so. Okay, uh, okay cool. Thomas, I guess, would be. Thomas, yeah. cool. Tom, Tom's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so it was kind of a really collaborative process. Vince had this idea. Um, he knew I was looking for a project um, similar to Fool's Errands, kind of very much like that um, story about love, but with an element of time um, and trying again and things not working out. Those were the kind of themes that I was looking for. And he had this brilliant idea, told me about it. And I just knew instantly that that was the kind of right idea and something I'd really want to work with and kind of sparked the imagination and that's just because we um, went to university together, so we've worked together on a few projects. So it was just a natural way to move forward and uh, create Fools Errand. And how about you, Vincent, from uh, your side? How did you um, get involved? Um, well, excuse me, my voice just cracked like a 12 year old boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. Um, how did I get involved? Right, yeah, so as, as uh, Tom said, um, we, we have a long history of collaborating with each other. Um, and again, I knew he was looking for an idea and it was just as, as, as quite random, but I was, um, I was cleaning the kitchen and I was listening to um, D'Angelo's last album. Um, and uh, which is amazing and people should listen to it. Um, and, and there's a song, there's two songs called um, Back to the Future Part One and Back to the Future Part Two. Um, and it just deals, and one of the lyrics in the song is, uh, I just wanna go back, back to the way things were. And I was just listening to it and musing on it. And I was just thinking to myself, what a ridiculous concept. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the fact that it's impossible, like we can't do it, but yet it's such a natural thing for us to spend so much energy wishing that we could do that, 
when the only way the only thing we can do is to is to move forward but then there's that there's that conflict of feeling like we're unable to move forward but only because we're holding on to the past and um and then it just kind of spiraled from there and um all the elements kind of fell into place and i just again i pitched the idea to tom and he was like yeah that's great and i'm like cool let's do it so yeah cool thanks vincent um lena same question to you how did you come um about writing and producing and starring in <laughs> Um, yeah, so it, it all started with, uh, the, the story comes from a true story, it was um, a friend of mine who uh, went through the same thing, she was um, about to get deported uh, back to Turkey, um, even though she had this amazing life in London being a banker and all that just because of a visa being not well processed and everything. And I was with her during the whole, you know, process of with the lawyers and all that stuff. And there's something that she said that kind of hit me. She said at one moment, she was like, I just hate my passport so much. And it kind of hit me because, I mean, obviously I'm not from here. I'm, a, I'm an immigrant, but I feel always, I mean, I feel a bit more secure in a sense of I'm European, so I don't have to do visas and all that stuff. But there's always this feeling in me that anytime this could change, like I'm not safe um, and it's something that I've seen all my life with my cousins uh, coming from Morocco and trying to work in France and seeing all this heartbreaking process of visa and not knowing how long, you know, your situation can be safe and all that thing. And I just realized, and it, with, with Brexit coming, I just thought this is something important to, to share, you know, this feeling of not feeling safe in a place that you feel you can call home, that feels like home. And it turns out I was studying at Drama Center at the time and all of my friends there um, were all also like from different parts of the world, like from Belgium, from Ireland, from South Africa. And we just, we had the exact same feeling. Uh, so the team just came together just very naturally, just because it's something that we talk about all the time. And as I was writing it, I was sharing my ideas with my friends and we we're just like, yeah, we're more like this, more like that. I was, uh, one of my friend Lou came as a co-writer as well. and. It was a very, it was an amazing process. And then Lauren, who directed it, is from South Africa, and she had so much to, to say as well about, you know, the feeling of what is home. Home is sometimes a place where it can also be a person, you know, that you attach to. So it just came like from, yeah, we were just this bunch of friends going through the same thing and being like, let's make a film or however we're going to do this. But yeah, very natural process. Yeah. Thank you for that, Lena. Uh, Kiende, uh, same question to you. Uh, how did you come uh, about writing and being involved in this film and starring it too? Um, so it was a bit of a funny one because I'm an actor, so acting is my main thing. And I was sitting around, I was like, I'm not really doing anything. And I was like, okay, I don't, I'm quite bored. So let me start doing something that I can start and something I'd want to watch. So that was actually how it came about first things first. And the whole writing process was a little bit funny because at first it started off as a comedy. It wasn't actually this film, it was, it was something completely different. It started off as a, as a comedy and then I was like, what am I actually writing? Like, am I enjoying, am I enjoying writing this? Like, yeah, it's funny, but I want to do a film that says something. So it took a long time to get the film to where it went to. So, and I had a lot of help from my director, William Boyd, he's an amazing director. Um, and we basically just worked together on writing the script and getting it to where it was. And 
producing the film that we produced, I'm quite proud of the film, which is good. I'm happy, I'm happy with how the film came out. And I think it actually does say something because I know people who have suffered or who suffer with sickle cell. And I know the, the sort of um, hurdles they have to face. So I just wanted to find a way to put that into this film. And yes, that's pretty much what led me to making this film. It, was, it started from that thing of frustration of, okay, I'm, I'm an actor, I'm not doing anything, I'm bored to the point of actually making a film that I wanted to watch, I wanted to see, and something that I wanted to say something. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Akinde. Um, I was going to say, actually, the for, for me, the greatest part of this process is I get to watch everyone's films. <laughs> so, obviously, I know you guys might not have seen each other's films, but I, I must say, like, the quality is amazing. It's such a, a, a pleasure, really, as well, to watch them. And you can imagine that we've had, like, hundreds and hundreds of submissions. So. I wanted to let you guys know that you are definitely all winners of being part of this festival as well. So yeah, and very, very um, proud to watch your great creativity. So thank you. That's just, yeah, my little put in message to you guys. But um, yeah, so my second question um, is, what was the most challenging part of the process of making this movie for you guys? Um, we will go to Lena. Um, I think there was two parts that are kind of related, actually, is um, I think it's the confidence thing in the beginning. I mean, for me, it was the first film that I've ever written. So even though it mattered to me so much, there's always all along the way being like, am I am I even good enough to write this? Is it does anyone care about what I'm saying? Because obviously the story resonates with me, but I'm like, do people actually is it is it interesting kind of thing? Um, so that was very hard to find that kind of confidence to be like yeah it does matter and and I, I feel like it came um it kind of came as we were doing the crowdfunding campaign because it was just so interesting to see we were putting everything on twitter and trying to create like this kind of um movement around it and it was so fascinating to see how people related to that people we've never we don't know and I was responding I've been through that this happened to me and it the confidence in the end came from knowing like seeing, putting a face on all the people that did relate to that story and how they were willing to support it just because it resonated. So I think, yeah, the challenge was to find confidence as a filmmaker, especially when you're starting. Um, and then the second thing I would say, the crowdfunding campaign itself, doing a crowdfunding campaign in the middle of the summer when everyone's got something else to do, like a pool to be, uh, or some, it, was, it wasn't a good timing. So definitely learning, learning from that and, um, yeah, I would say those two, those two things were the main challenges, definitely. Thank you, Lena. Uh, Kende, same question to you. What was the most challenging process of making this movie? Um, I think for me, the most challenging thing, it's two things really. Um, first of all, was just getting everything together to start with, because I'm used to just turning up on set and okay, fine, I act and I go home, cool, no problem, fun times. But um, this time it was, okay, I've got to get the money. I've got to find the location. I've got to find this. And I was like, I'm going to go mad. I'm going to go, I, at one point I almost cried. I was like, what am I doing? But um, yeah, that was, it was very challenging because I'd never done any of that before. And I don't think I really had that much of an appreciation for what really goes on behind the scenes when it comes to acting and, and when it comes to making a movie. Um, and that was something that really opened my eyes. And 
it was something that while we were on set as well, um, doing during during the filming, um, and I think it was the first day where I was just stressed because I was like, I still have to do like so many other things aside from acting. So I had my mind in like a hundred different places while I was um, while I was acting, and I was like, okay, I need to find a way to just tune all that out and just focus on what it is I'm doing and just make the best of it because even though it was stressful it was enjoyable I'd do it again um but then at the same time I think I had a really good team around me to help with um with the whole process so yeah it was a stressful stressful process and like I said yeah I would do it again um this time with more experience thankfully um so yeah 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 I think that was the most stressful thing about it just getting everything together first of all getting the money getting the locations and then actually just focusing on what it is that I want to do with the film so yes thanks Gendo um Tom uh, same question to you what's the most challenging pro uh, process of making the movie as a director uh, I'm probably going to come in with a typical director's <laughs> response. Um, just kind of the schedule, trying to always fight in with time, with locations, moving locations. Right, we're behind schedule. We need to catch up. We've got this thing to do. We need to do this other shot. Just because um, we had, we obviously were telling a story about a relationship in 14 minutes. And, you know, to establish that, you need to have different, sets different costumes different locations so you know to show the period of time between the characters and their relationship and what they're going through so you're just constantly trying to jumble all of this stuff up um, obviously plan really carefully and you know, film with their locations as close by each other and schedule the days but it's just the, the age-old question i mean the age-old answer for directors is just time really that was the big the big one for me. Thanks, Tom. And Vincent, same question. Uh, what was the most challenging part of the process of making this movie as co-writer and actor? Um, just to jump off the back of what Tom said, because um, our, our film is about time. You know, we, we, it's, it's linear to an extent. Um, and so for me, I think, there's two things. Firstly, the um, the post-production uh, side of it was difficult. Um, only because it was, we, we had a lot to cover. We needed to make sure that we established the relationship, but then also do what we need to do with the relationship. But then we, because we mess around with time so much, we needed to get the visual language correct. Um, and we needed to, um, we, because we needed to play with time so much, we needed to make sure that the things that we wrote down in the script, actually, um, we could communicate that visually. And it's one thing writing something down on a piece of paper, um, and it's different, like actually having those things move and flow, and uh, you spending enough time and things having, you know, things having weight um, and not brushing over things or not, uh, not leaving things, lingering on things and all that kind of stuff. So for me, the um, trying to develop the visual language and post-production was a bit of a challenge, but um, if, I, if I can, just one more thing. Um, on a personal note, because uh, I didn't, I wasn't planning to play Michael it wasn't, um, it wasn't an idea. The idea originally was to get an actor to play Michael. 
Um, and I think we were like maybe two or three drafts in and um, the idea came up of me playing Michael. And I was like, mm, okay, I, I guess. I mean, it'll, it'll be cheaper, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but I had reservations and I realized my reservations came from a very uh, deep ingrained place because when you have a film about love and loss, you're so used to seeing uh, a floppy-haired white guy. Do you know what I mean? Uh, looking like Hugh Grant or Ben Wishold or something. No disrespect to those guys, they're great. But you know, that's what we're used to. Death and more so in this country. I want to be very specific. You can see a plethora of American films with, with black men as the romantic lead. Not so much over here. And because a lot of the stuff that I've done before, I get kind of typecast because of the way I look, because of the way I sound, because of my build. Um, and I knew as an actor, I could play this role. I knew that it was, yeah, because I'm an actor. I can play lots of different things. Um, but I had a real hard time believing that the audience would believe me as a romantic lead. Um, and I say that and people are like, well, that's, that's stupid. But it is, it, again, it's, a, it's an... It's an unconscious bias even I had as a black man who wrote a script about love. It didn't need to be, Michael didn't need to be any color. He didn't. But then I had reservations as someone who created the story of, of if a UK audience specifically would buy a black man that looks like me and sounds like me as a romantic lead. Um, but then we ran out of time, so I just had to, I had to just kick myself in the ass and say, oh, well, got to do it anyway. So, yeah, that's it. And, yeah, you smashed it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, and it's, it's interesting, actually, because all your stories are actually stories that, um, for me, that maybe are untold stories as well. Actually, all your films have that similar theme, um, which is lovely to, to see. And it's, it's interesting, it's, you, you said something which I, I completely picked up on, which is the visual language. And, you know, you watch a lot of films, especially when you mess around with time, you've got to be very careful and you have to do it right. And it was really nice to see you guys, you did do it right as well. And the visual language is important, man. And it's um, it's something that you see where, you know, the film couldn't happen. It's like, what, we're getting back in time. Why are we, why are we here? Like kind of thing. But actually the way you guys did it was was really, it just made it so um, so different. And I appreciated it. And then I almost felt sorry for you because I was like, no, don't go back in time. Don't go with her find someone else. But, <laughs> but, um, <yeah. laughs> but it was a joy. <laughs> um, Lena, did I ask you this question? The chiming part of the question? Yes, I did. Thank you. Okay, so we are on to question three. Which scene are you most proud of? Which scene are you most proud of? Um, let's go with Lena. <laughs> Um, I think for me, uh, I loved uh, the dance scene. Um, it was something when I when I wrote it, I was um, it was so important to me because I feel like it was the cornerstone of the story. Even if there was no dialogue during this scene, it was the moment where everything shifts in in the main character, and she tries to find that strength in her, and, and she finds also that strength in that in 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 the person that she loves. 
but I always, I was a bit scared that you know a dance scene is always a bit, it can, it can be, oh, it some shit. So I was just like, okay, and we need to be careful with that. I, I was really scared about this. But the day when it came to shoot, shooting the scene, we were so, it was really hot with time. We had the studio only for an hour and we were already late and all that. Just before I had this monologue, I had only one take for the whole monologue. And I was just like, oh my God, we, we, we can't, we can't do it too many times. Like we have to nail it right away. And then I was like, Lauren was amazing. She was just like, you're an actress, not, producer right now so stop like just be in the moment and we'll figure it out and then this amazing moment happened where like um even though the music was going to be on it afterwards lauren just put some music that she like she made this kind of playlist like behind our back knowing all the songs that we love and that like kind of triggers us and so she was like turned to the line producer and was like put the music on and as soon as the music kind of came like everything kind of disappeared and we started dancing not even like we didn't even block anything. We were just doing the dance the way that we, all the stuff we wanted to say with words, we just expressed them with our bodies and stuff started coming out. And and Lauren was like with the DOP, uh, Roma, and she was just like right next to him, like almost touching his shoulder. And they were like moving with us. It was like a dance, not just with the actors, but with the DOP and the director. And she was throwing stuff at us with like, oh, you're feeling this, you're feeling that. And as they were like moving, we're moving. Homa was just with the camera, like we, the, nothing was prepared. It was all the magic of filmmaking, of being in the moment, feeling the camera, camera feeling us and just like, it was magical moment. And it's kind of the sort of, sort of thing that you think our filmmaking is about, you know? It's like, you, you know, obviously you come on set, everything's prepared, you do this, you do that. It's like almost like military, but the reason why we want to do that kind of stuff is for this kind of moments, is the moments we like, it's driven by like the soul and by the, like everything else in preparation and whatnot. So it was a magical moment. And I think it came across quite well uh, in the film in the end as well. So it was just, for me, it was magical that moment. Yeah. Yeah, do you know, Leah, I definitely agree. I thought it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful scene. Um, I especially, I even, I, I like the, the whole conversation you had before and mm. as well when both of you are, kneeling down looking in each other's eyes kind of thing and just mm. talking about how do you feel and that really resonated because I think sometimes we don't do that enough as people you know like mm -hmm. we talk about oh you know how are you yeah I'm doing this, <laughs> whatever I'm going through it or you know but actually having that connection it really it really I did feel the shift like you said it was a real shift and um I really enjoyed that um yeah. so thank, thank you, you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> As I see, I'm very passionate about all this, guys. As I said, like I'm not joking. I've watched all your films and I'm, I'm loving everything I'm seeing. So, yeah, if I do go off on one, it's because I, I really do care. So, um, yeah. Um, Kiende, uh, same question. What scene are you most proud of? Um, I think easily the first scene, the opening scene. That's, that's, that's my main thing. And I think it's kind of because, so we, we, we didn't film in chronological order. So that first scene was shot on the second day. And I think by then I was a lot more comfortable. So I, and it has, it has no words on my part, but then for me, I was just more comfortable in what I was doing. So, okay, cool, I can really just delve into this. And I think also because it, it's quite striking, the first scene. And I want, whenever I watch something, I always want some, want, the, at least the opening scene to make you feel something, even if it's, even if it's discussed, which 
a lot of people felt when when they watched um, the first scene. Like my sister's text me, she was like, "That's disgusting." I was like, <laughs> she was like, "Oh, I was eating." I was like, ah. "But um, no, that's easily my 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 favorite scene." Like, like I said, I just want people to, to 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 feel something, whether it's disgust, whether it's sorrow, whether it's some sort of empathy, whether it's anything, just feel something from that opening scene. And I think that did come across with a lot of people and I think this the the, the first scene is, is quite it's quite um chaotic and amidst all the chaos that's going on you obviously have the wife who's trying to comfort her husband um in between all the his throwing up and just everything that's happening so um and I think it also it also sort of pushes through that message of even when things are at its most chaotic and most I don't know if I'll say disgusting, but I'll use disgusting. Um, when you have someone who's there to sort of be your comfort and be your 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 safety blanket, it sort of makes things a little bit better for you because they offer you some sort of peace, even though you're going through what might seem endless. And in that moment, you probably feel as if I don't know, you're, 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 because I guess it's something you've gone through before, so you probably feel as if you feel bad that you're putting the person who you love through this again, even though it's nothing that's your fault. So, um, yeah, I think that first scene for me by far, I, I, I've like, when, when, when we've, when the film was done, I, <laughs> when I was watching the film, I had to rewind it 10 times because I was enjoying it so much. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. And I was like, okay, fine, yeah, I'll watch the film. So um, yeah, the first scene for me was, was it was it was lovely. And when, when we were filming, it was so funny because I had um, I had soup in my mouth and the soup was horrible. It was disgusting. I was like, this is actually horrible. I, I wanted to throw up fit, like properly. I was like, this is disgusting. And I had to film it like 15 times. I was like, okay, cool. Like, oh, yeah, get the soup. I put the soup in my mouth, like, let's go. I'm like, oh my God. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun to do. And I, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that, so yeah. Yeah, do, do you know, it, you said something interesting. Um, you were saying about how, you know, putting someone that you love, you, you almost blame yourself for this illness and this sickness and stuff. And actually, do you know, I feel like you kind of nailed that a bit later as well with the mum's reaction, because, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, I'm from a Nigerian family as well, albeit Ibo. And um, <laughs> um, the mum, literally, I, I saw all the familiarities. Yeah. Um, the, the cussing in Europe, especially like in Ibo. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> but no, definitely like her reaction as well, the, almost the disappointment of you being ill. And like, yeah. you know, we've come, your twin is ill, we understand that, but you as well, like, what have I done to like, almost like blaming themselves, what have I done to bring these children in the world? To be ill you know and exactly. again it's a message or a, a maybe a reasoning that isn't popular and something you don't really see in films because it, it almost seems like well that doesn't make sense you know but it really i was like yeah that's totally my parents would be the same and, and i guess it's that thing, that. Um, untold stories as well which you which you mentioned earlier which is actually one of the reasons why i wanted to do the film because when you look at these things most times especially in in in, in nigerian culture when there's something around fertility it's always placed on the woman it's the woman's fault it's the woman's fault it's the woman's fault so what if this time it's not the woman's fault what if actually the woman has been covering for the man this whole time and it's actually something which isn't it's not his fault but then 
it's it's not something he can control, but then it's the problem does come from him, which is, you know, something that I guess a lot of times in, in, in Nigeria, we we don't look at that point of view. We just look at it from the point of view of, okay, the woman must have done something that was wrong or bad. And um, I guess, which I, also, I which is why I kind of made it, um, made the character Indian, um, the, the my wife in the film, because some people, loads of Nigerian parents don't agree with inter interracial marriages. They're like, uh, it's a bit of a like touchy subject. And even in Nigeria, for example, they have a, like, it, well, in Lagos specifically, there's quite a big Lebanese like community in Lagos. And um, some people, some parents, if, if, if you told, if, if like your daughter or your son came home and was like, okay, they want to marry this Lebanese person, they'd be like, they'd be like what? So it's that kind of thing where it's weird. And even though they're around us all the time, people don't really accept it. So I think that that, that point of view comes across a lot with the mother, even when, even the first time we see them meet each other in the film, um, the way the mother gives um, the wife, Ritika, the handbag, there's that thing of like almost disgusting. I don't, I don't actually want to be around you or talk to you. So, yeah. Thank you, Kendi. Um, Tom, same question to you. What scene are you most proud of? It's like um, right in the middle of the film where we've been building up to this moment where we then go into this whole new world and we go into this office and it's where Michael meets the man for the first time. And then you kind of see the visions that are in his mind. You then see how he figures out the space and how he settles in with the man and then how the man begins to enter into his kind of thoughts more and kind of make use of this situation that's being created. And you bring it in, it's like, Michael's memories, you've got the man's world, you've got what Michael wants and then you've got when he's moved back in time and he has a chance again and you've got all these like the visual language we create and then when you get to see it in there and you get the editing, you get the pacing, you get all the colours, the sound design and it all comes together and it's just, it just flows and it's just exactly how I created it because you always have this visual in your head of when you, when you set in your film and you, you have ideals of what you want it to look like and everything and that's probably out of any pro project i've made that section is the closest like thing to how i envisualized it and how i saw it the look and the style the feel and it's just got a feeling um because i just watched it again recently and it's still like it's hard to say it's just visually telling the story and um you know how all the visual elements that we created and the languages that we use for each world, how they all interlink, and it still tells this story and you understand and you can see what each section means just by watching it and it doesn't need to be explained because it's just that feeling you have and you see it in the performance that Vince gave as well and it just helps tie everything together. Um, just the journey that Michael goes on and I think in that moment it's where it comes to a big crescendo and then it throws us in it sets us up for the rest of the film as well because now as an audience you know okay you get start getting used to all these different worlds and different places that we've established 
Thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, I was going to say that's definitely where the shift came for me as well in the film, which I I really enjoyed. I even I mean I, it might even seem seem like maybe a a small thing, but I almost like the the color changes as well. It felt like the new world was a completely different color to what we had previously. So we knew that we were in somewhere somewhere special, somewhere different. Um, and I yeah, I feel like you guys really succeeded in doing that as well. Um, it's fine. I was actually going to ask you the question of what you had visually. Did you, did it change? Was it different to um, what you succeeded in doing? But you kind of already answered that. So thanks for that, Tom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, no, but seriously, it must be like a great feeling as well to be able to do that as well when you've actually visualized something. And then when you delivered, you're like, oh my gosh, this is just like my vision, if not better. So yeah, that's the thing because we've, having like I think because I made a lookbook and we really went to town and really just got down exactly how we wanted it to look and how to um, differentiate the different worlds and the different places in time because um, although if we didn't do that you know the film wouldn't make sense it, it'd just be really confusing and I had to even kind of condense it a little bit because it was going to be even more but then it was a case of you had to go too far in the pre-production to realize that we'd gone too far and that that would make it more confusing to then simplify it in our heads but it still wasn't simple because there's like six different worlds and six different times and to really put them into one and in a short film it's not this isn't a feature it's a short film so you have to get this you know the audience on board from minute one to the end of the film and they have to go in six different places. And that was, that was for me, that was one of the big challenges, but I guess I didn't think about that because we conquered it in pre-production with just the planning, the lookbook. So then when the DLP came on board, it was like, get, you know, taking his opinion on board and collaborating, but figuring that out and then bringing in the costumes, you know, they all had, they was even the, the actual, the other thing, we even color coordinated the costumes so they were complimenting in the beginning when things were going wrong. And then obviously when they're in times when things are not going right, the colors are opposite. So it was like the whole color and the look just really worked. But in that scene, it's you've got the sound, the editing, the pacing, everything just comes together. And it's just it's one of my favorite pieces of filmmaking that I've created for sure. Thanks for that, Tom. So um, Vincent, what part of the movie or what scene would you say that you were probably the most proud of? Um, Tom took my answer, but I knew he would. So I thought of the one that is a very, very close second. And that's, um, I'm not gonna say what happens in the scene, but it's at the end of the scene, um, end of the, end of the uh, film where we really get to play with time. And we, and we do some really, uh, we we like we, we you know we really really get to mess around with it. I don't want to say too much because I want people to watch it and experience it fresh. But um, yeah, similarly to, to to Tom's answer, it's because well, one, it's the closest thing to what we wrote, as well as the the uh, the scene in the office or the offices, um, and it has all those elements of. The visual storytelling and um, 
the 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 color schemes are the same and it's all it's just kind of been able to play with a visual language and um yeah that's it thank you so much for that vincent cool okay cool so um so yeah next question um if you had an unlimited budget what would your next film project be uh i'm gonna give this question first to Kiende. Um, well, I'm sort of already working on, my, on, on a feature film actually. Um, and it's around what I want to do. So it's good that we have this question. Um, and I would tell stories of Nigerian people who have done a lot for the country, but then their stories often go on, go unheard. And I think this is particularly good when we when we look at the year that Nigeria has had. Um, was it was last month? Yeah, it was last month. Um, if you're on social media, I don't know. You might have seen the trending hashtag #NSARS, and that was just basically against police brutality in Nigeria. And then obviously it had undertones of people being under the government and just different things. And that peaceful protest ended quite sadly um, with people being killed all over the country, basically. So I tell the stories of the people who have done a lot for my country, Nigeria, but then their stories go unheard because I think it's important for people in Nigeria to know who the unsung heroes are of the country and the people who have sometimes died for their country into to trying to push the country into a better direction because Nigeria is a country with a lot of potential. We have so 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 much potential, but then it 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 for God knows how long since our independence in 1960, there hasn't been any real progression. So if we can just actually have that progression and have something, because we do it, we do it with music, we do it with filmmaking, we do it with so many different things that it's often, oftentimes we're, we're held back by bad governance. So I just do projects that, like I said, highlight these people and highlight the good that they've done for the country. Um, I know people often think it's always all doom and gloom, but um, sometimes it's not, sometimes there's, you know, stories of, 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 of joy of people actually wanting to do things for the country to be a better better country for everyone and not just a country that's there for the five percent of people who have money or ten percent of people so um yeah I think that's what it would be on which is why which is why I'm working on this feature film right now I can't talk too much about it but then um yeah that's what it would be it would be that's um yeah tell those stories of interest, Kendo, you, you mentioned before how you know you're more solely an actor, but yes. are you starting to shift a little bit into? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, well, I think I think so because I think I've, I've always wanted to do a bit of both. I've always wanted to do a bit of both, and I, I've come to a point where I'm like, I can't wait for people to put me in films, I have to put myself in these films. And I think that's where this whole thing, like I said before, this, where this, this whole thing started from was just me being frustrated with not having any opportunities. And I was like, fine, I've got to create these opportunities for myself because I mean, I, I, I'm in control of my own destiny. No one else is going to do it for me. So I'm going to do it for myself. 
And yeah, like I said, I've always wanted to just write other things. I, I one day I want to own my own production company. Um, and I want to, yeah, do more writing. I want to direct, I've never directed before. This is actually my first film festival. So we, so, um, <laughs> so um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's a bit of a, a shift where I want to do a bit of everything. I know acting will always be my main thing, but then I want to stick my finger in as many pies as possible. So, yeah. Thank you, Kiende. Um, same question to Vincent. If you had an unlimited budget, what would your next film project be? Um, <clears throat> I suppose it would be, I had this idea uh, a few years ago. Um, and it's basically set in like the future in London specifically. And um, it's a detective story, but it's not kind of, it's sci-fi-ish, but it's not kind of Blade Runner sci-fi-ish. Basically it's, it's, yeah, it's a detective story. And um, the world that, we, that the detective inhabits is in two parts. So London has now become a place that's like, like too, uh expensive and uh for p normal people to live and so it's become this like almost elysium if you've everyone's seen that film place where it's just elite the elite uh are, are live there and uh similarly to how it, it you know in how things are now people that can't afford to live as now they get pushed out but in my film they get pushed down. So there's two Londons. There's one above the ground and there's one below the ground. And um, basically uh, our heroine uh, gets, she kind of she basically goes between these two worlds. She doesn't really fit in either of them. And um, she is tasked to find uh, so someone who's like a very high and powerful uh, person's um, relative who they believe is in the lower depths of London and so yeah I just I, I it's, it's kind of I mean it can be done but it, it's in my head it's very expensive um, yeah and I just kind of what I get as obviously I kind of want to touch on I'm London born and raised I love it London's my city uh, I am unapologetically a Londoner more than I, if, you know, some people say, oh, you're from the UK, you're, you're an Englishman. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm a Londoner. Understand that. Um, and yeah, and I just see how, I see how the city's changing uh, and change isn't always bad, but at the same time, some way, the ways things are, there's some things that are a bit off. And so, yeah, so it's a commentary on, on, on gentrification. It's a commentary on poverty and um, the growing disparity, you know, disparity that kind of I've said that right but you know the, the, the differences between the rich and the poor and how that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and just one final thing and we, and we see it with um well I I've definitely heard stories in regards to the, this last year in regards to COVID and you see people in certain areas of the country that um well, all around the country that are just hurting really really hurting because they weren't in a good position beforehand and then you, and then on the other side of the coin, you see people that they're doing all right, and they've always been doing all right. And a lot of that comes down to 
their social economic standing. So yeah, if I had all the money in the world, I'd I'd blow it on that. So even though you got an unlimited budget, would you still put yourself in this film or? Uh, yeah, as I said before, like it wasn't even the plan to put myself in the last one, in, in Fool's Errand, you know? I, I'm the, you know, for me as a writer, when I'm, it's like when I get an acting job. When I get an acting job, I'm playing a part. So when I'm a writer, I'm a writer. I don't think about, there. you know, there's been a project there's another project that's doing the rounds on the festival circuit at the moment, which I specifically like, okay, I want to play that part and I'm writing this for me. Um, but anything else I kind of approach, I kind of want to just tell the story. And if there's a part for me, great. And if there's not, then not. But, um, you know, in this story, the, the hero will be um, a woman. Uh, so that's, that's not a role I'm ready to, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll be taking on anytime soon. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Vincent. <laughs> um, same question to Tom. If you had an unlimited budget, what would your next project be? So, yeah, it'd be um, a film um, called Livery Set that I be that I had the idea back in 2011. And since then i've been working on it um like on and off throughout the years um that's kind of partly the reason why i was looking for a project and when vince told me the idea of fools Aaron, because it's in essence to kind of show that i'm ready to tell a feature version of a story that's similar to fools errand which lovely set is so it'd be that which has been a cathartic way of dealing with loss of a relationship really where in, in this essence, I knew it wasn't going to work in the long run, but um, in the film, it's kind of dealing with those themes about trying to make a relationship work. And, you know, there's that question that we all ask ourselves, you know, what could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? Especially when you're heartbroken and, you know, you want to do something right or you learn, you're like, you know, you know, you could have done something better. Um, and it's kind of love reset really delves into the depths of that and, like, are people meant to be together? Do soulmates exist? It really explores that kind of element, um, which we kind of explore similar themes in Fool's Errand. So, yeah, if I had all the money, there's, I've not been spending 10 years of my life nearly working on a script, thinking about an idea and, you know, staying awake at night and working on, you know, just constantly living with it. And you might forget about it for a few months and then, boom, you're just somewhere doing something in life and then there's that moment that you're like, that's what this character would do or what was missing. So it, I'd have to make that just because it's lived with me, but also because it's part of me and it's a story that um, leaves you with something that's, I, I would like to create films that, you know, give you something from them. So you walk away with them and you're left resonating on them and it kind of makes you look at things in a different way. And that's hopefully what it does. And I, I, I think Fool's Aaron has the chance to do that as well. Cool, thank you, Tom. And Lena, same question. If you had an unlimited budget, what would your next film project be? Um, 
I have this um, this feature that I've uh, already started working on, knowing that it's not going to happen uh, anytime soon, obviously. But um, uh, it's like um, an action kind of epic kind of film, but set in North Africa uh, quite a long time ago. Because so one of my favorite film growing up uh, when I was a teenager was uh, Gladiator, uh, and there was this scene. Um, you know, when he's like in North Africa, like in Zuccobar, they call it, um, when he's starting his whole like gladiator journey and it's like full of these like very interesting characters, like kind of, um, I don't think like Arabs, but the North African uh, characters that you get to see only during that part of the film. I mean, you, you get to see Proximo later, but, and they were so interesting and growing up, I would always like fantasize about this whole part of the film and what if this happened and this happened. But the thing is, like most, you know, action films, even if it's in the antiquity, like Rome or stuff, like there's not much about that part of the world in that part, in that time. And it's just something that I would love to see. I would love to see that kind of stories, you know, like it's a bit Game of Throny, you know, Rome, whatever. But, you know, in North Africa with North African characters and, you know, all the complexity of that culture and, and the beauty of the of the landscapes and all that stuff. Like, I just don't see that in, in films enough. And I just want to make something uh, like that. And I feel like now it's going to be a bit more, there's more hope, I think, that we're going to get to see that kind of uh, films, you know, with like all this stuff that Netflix doing, like Netflix Africa. And maybe like, we'll get to see that, but it's definitely something that I wish I could, you know, be part of and, and help build, you know, like just change a bit the kind of stuff that we see on the big screen and see all the kind of faces. Um, so yeah, that's something I'm really passionate about, but we'll see if that ever happens. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned um, a bit earlier, you were saying about how, you know, you're writing a, a feature which you don't think is going to happen anytime soon, obviously a situation, etc. cetera. Um, how do you motivate yourself to keep going at it? Um, I think, there was something I had a friend like I think she was one of my friends that, that is the most broke but she's the one that does the most things in her life and I remember her saying to me once when she went to go on a holiday or something and I was like man it's a bit difficult and she'd be like money is not a problem she would always say that when she's the one who has like <laughs> the least and I kind of trying to live by that motto because like in it's about the creative part of it and if you're always focused on the money you don't have or the thing you don't have I don't think, I, it, it's, there's no, there's no, this, you can always do some stuff. And for me, I take so much pleasure just like creating words and even just being in an acting class for me will be enough to make me feel like my day was worth it. And it was an amazing day, an amazing week. So I feel like just doing the things that I love doing and that makes me be in this other world, it's just enough. Like I, you know, I, I could have to work like an office job for several months because I'm struggling. But if I get to have those, you know, like this one hour a week when I get to do that Im imaginary thing, it's just, yeah, it's just enough. And it doesn't have to be big. It's just like kind of um, protect that inner world, you know, make it alive, keep it alive, whatever happens in your life, keep that world alive. Thank you, Lena. <laughs> Um, actually, Tom, I'm just going to go back to you really quickly because I actually want to ask you the same question. Um, you know, like I, I could tell you of scripts that I've I've got right sitting on my computer right now, even pre 2011, um, of things that I'd love I love to come true and love to make and create. And obviously, you were saying that you've been working on scripts since 2011. So, how do you keep yourself motivated to just keep picking at it and keep working at it? 
It's a very good question. Um, I guess it's, for me, it's a feeling um, and it'll come down to how much does that project excite me? And it's also, I've had to learn that it's okay to put it down for like, you know, a few months and then let whatever happens in life deal with that. And then at some point it's still going to be there. It's not going to run away. At the beginning of the process, I was in this rush. It has to, has to, has to go, 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 go. But I had to learn. I had to grow as a person. I had to experience love. I had to learn from it. And through all those experiences and through living life, you become a better person if, as long as you learn from your mistakes, um, a better writer, um, a better storyteller. And then you meet characters, you meet people. And it's through myself growing as a person that this story's grown. And also, I'm, I'll always tell people that I meet who, um, like close friends or family or people in the industry, if you meet, if you've got a good vibe with them, I'll tell them my story and see how they react how they react, so I'll pitch it um, and tell them. And it's like 90% at least really resonate with this idea and get it. And that's how I've kind of honed my, so it's honed my idea down, but it's also the feedback. It's getting feedback from people. So constantly reminding yourself and it's that moment, you know, when you sat in, you were at a film festival or you've been to um, a talk and you meet someone and you have a drink and then you're like, oh, so what are you working on and what are you working on? And you still feel that magic when you're explaining the story and you've seen how people engage with it. That's what keeps me going. And sometimes you forget about it and then you have a sit down and a drink and then you talk about it again. You're like, oh God, I need to get back on this. So it's just, I guess, learning to be less harsh on the time frame of things. Because obviously when we're up and coming, things take a long time. You need to really be able to prove, get gain trust of people so people can believe that you can tell this film get it finished get it delivered in budget on time um, and obviously first time filmmakers that's one of the hardest things to be able to do is to get people to give you that chance but if you've got a script and an idea that you know is strong enough um and realistic because it's you know it's a low budget um universal kind of themed film that's kind of unique same but different so it's knowing the industry, knowing your ideas, having belief in it, but then kind of checking that by talking to people about it, people who you trust, whose opinion you value. Vince will know, because I've gone to him many times over the years and going to read various different drafts. So he's seen it grow and develop, and he's definitely been someone that I've always gone to and spoken to about problems and or something's not quite working. Um, so it's just... That's for me. I need to. I need some good people to soundboard off, and that's how I gauge it from. And that's what tells you. And it's a commitment. It, you know, it's a relationship. You're connected to this project for the duration of writing it, and then obviously you want to get it made. So that duration, then it's made. You've got to get it finished. Then you've got to get it out, get it seen, get it in film festivals. So it's knowing that you're in it for the long haul. This baby is going to grow, and you need to be there to hold its hand and take it all through all the different schools and universities. Thank you, Tom, for sharing that with us. I appreciate that. Um, I think, yeah, you, you said something really that resonated, um, which is just being allowed to just being able to put it down and let life just live and then come back to it with better experiences. Yeah, 
totally. <laughs> but um, right, guys, thank you all for being here. Um, please, can you just quickly drop your social media handles so people can find you after watching your film on the Apple TV app? So we'll go around. Um, we'll do Vincent, Tom, Lena, Kiende. That's cool. So go for it, Vincent. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, as you know, my name is Vincent Jerome, and you can find me on mainly Twitter and Instagram um, at I underscore Vincent Jerome. That's I underscore Vincent Jerome. Uh, so I'm uh, Thomas Alexander, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. On uh, Twitter, I think I'm at Tom Alexander, but Alexander is with a K instead of an X, because I like to be unique and individual, you know, as we all do in life. Um, and then on Instagram, it's Thomas Alexander. Um, so T-O-M-A-S-Z, because my parents are Polish, and then A-L-E-K-S-A-N-D-E-R, Alexander again. So just uh, no, no surnames, so you can spell these a bit easier. Yeah. Um, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, it's me, sorry. <laughs> um, so I'm Lena Dubarry, and you can find me on Instagram. So it's Lena, L-Y-N-A underscore E-B-R. And um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use it, so I'll just leave you with my Instagram. <laughs> I think that's better. Hello, um, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My Twitter is at Kende Cardoso, so at K-E-H-I-N-D-E-C-A-R-D-O-S-O. And my Instagram is at L-K underscore Cardoso, so L-K underscore Cardoso. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for watching the Buff 2020 Love Stories Filmmaker Program Q&A. You can watch all these films right now on Apple TV app. And for a direct link, you can visit our website, which is www.britishurbanfestival.co.uk. And just make sure you follow all the action on the socials using the hashtag, hashtag buff2020. Cool. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Justin. Thank, Thank you. you. Really Thank you. <laughs> nice to meet you all. Uh, Make sure that is all. <laughs>